0: Hi, this is Levi. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few of the other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships in From the Platform. It's a very in depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. That's From the Platform. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think uh, Mr. Rogers meets uh, Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style and think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org. Now, here's the show.
1: Welcome back to Little Faith. This is a podcast sponsored by the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation. A Little Faith podcast explores both the challenges and hope of living a life of faith. I'm Helen and I'm here with Larry Goodridge from Guelph, Ontario in Canada. It is night for June 2020. How are you doing, Larry?
0: I'm doing very well and uh, thank you for having me.
1: It's been a pleasure to connect and and kind of hear your story and meet someone else in North America you know, who shares the same faith. Tell us a bit more about yourself, Larry.
0: So, uh, I am a Canadian. I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, um, to parents of Guyanese heritage. My parents um, individually moved to the UK and then to Canada, where they met and married. Um, I have... uh, recently moved back to Canada from the U.S. I I spent approximately 11 years from 2002 to 2013 in the U S. Um, and then, and then moved back to Canada to where I, I now live and work with my family in the city of Guelph, Ontario.
1: Great. And, um, it's 9th of June, 2020. It's been a really tough week, tough two weeks. Um, well, it's been a tough couple of months but these last two weeks have been particularly tough haven't they and so in your own words can you tell us um what's been happening over the last few weeks um to give context to anyone listening um who who's either not in america or who's listening to this podcast in the future
0: yeah so certainly you know the past two weeks uh, have been difficult with the events in the u.s the uh unfortunate events surrounding the death of George Floyd. Um, but really, you know, for me, that a, a lot of people are focusing on that event. Um, I, I think there's a danger in that because, first of all, um, in the past few months, um, there have been a number of, of Black people mm-hmm. who have died under unfortunate and, and, and potentially racist um, circumstances. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the, the George Floyd um, situation has taken center stage because there was video of it and because the video of it was, was so chilling. Yeah. But even beyond the deaths of Black people, I think it's important to understand that those events are still relatively rare compared to the day-to-day challenges that Black people uh-huh. go through. Um, just before George Floyd died, we saw the incident in, in the New York park with the woman with her dog and the black man uh, that recorded that situation. So, And that is just the, the tip of the iceberg. And, and I think for me, well, the situation with, with, with uh, George Floyd saddened me and angered me because not only was a, a life taken, but it really brought... Back all of the daily challenges that certainly I go through and, and, and other people um, with black skin. so
1: mm-hmm.
0: so the last you know two weeks have been, have been challenging. On the positive side, certainly there have been a number of people in our community, such as yourself, who have reached out um, and offered support and have offered to listen
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and have pledged to learn. And based on what they they hear and what they learn, they've pledged to act. And and for me, really, those are the three words that I, I think I'm I'm going to come back to a lot mm-hmm. um, during this podcast: listen, learn, act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we can do all of that, then then there is a way forward to to really help those. And, and it's not just Black people; it's it's really visible minorities. Um, who, who may feel isolated within our community
1: mm-hmm. so tell us a bit more about um, your the daily challenges
0: before I, I get to the daily challenges one thing that I've observed is that um, certainly when I talk with white people many get defensive mm-hmm. um, I think that defensiveness comes from two two things well really one 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 unifying theme around two separate things. Uh, the unifying theme is a lack of understanding of what racism is mm-hmm. and a lack of understanding of what white privilege is. Mm-hmm. So racism, I think a lot of people think racism is only racism if somebody c- commits some conscious overt act. It could be calling someone a derogatory name, It could be doing something to them because of their color but racism is so much more than that. It's, it, it's conscious and it's unconscious. And all of us are socialized. We've all grown up in a certain um, society, a white-dominated society. And, and whether we know it or not, we've become socialized. And so we all have unconscious biases. So even people who don't think that they're racist can act in a way that is racist. And that, that isn't just white people, it's anybody. Mm. Um, and then the second thing is white privilege. And I've noticed people get very defensive because they feel that that means that by, by saying that someone has white privilege, that they have been somehow complicit. And that's not what white privilege is. It's, it, white privilege is the fact that because of the color of one's skin, life is easier for that person. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the day-to-day challenges. So I'll give you some day-to-day challenges that perhaps show some of the things that I have to go through that perhaps someone with white skin doesn't have to go through because of the the difference in skin color. So, Mm -hmm. for example, at work, I can be a, a very passionate person. If I respond loudly because I'm passionate, that has been seen as being aggressive. Whereas my white colleagues who respond in that way are seen as passionate.
1: Mm, um, or, so that's, or just excited.
0: Or just excited. So that's yeah. so that's one thing. Going into the store, I've gone into the store before. There was one incident I remember vividly where I went into the store with a couple, a white couple, um, who were my friends. We walked into the store at the same time. The store owner didn't know that we were together. My white friends walked in the store and went to the left side of the store, and I went to the right. And then I noticed that I was being followed by the the
1: security
0: guard. Now, my white friends, I look over and there's nobody around them. And they even remarked afterwards because they noticed that as well Mm. that, you know, the irony of it is that they could have been robbing the store. Mm. Um, And the security would never have known that because they were focusing on me.
1: Mm.
0: A lot of black people, um, black parents have what they call the talk with their kids about police. Um, And that is if you are ever in an interaction with the police, like if you get pulled over for speeding, for example, or, or, or pulled over even if you're not speeding, because I certainly this has not happened to me, but I certainly have friends who have been pulled over by the police simply because they happen to be in a in the wrong neighborhood, which, in in by interpretation, they were in a, a white neighborhood, the affluent neighborhood, and it didn't look like they should be there. So they look to the police, at least suspicious. So how do you behave with the police? So my parents had that talk with me. You know, you you certainly don't argue. You, you know, you put your hands on the dashboard. You ask calmly if you can move to get your wallet when they ask you for things and so forth. These are all the, the things that I have to deal with and think about every day that a white person doesn't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is it adds a layer of, of stress um, to, to day-to-day life um, mm-hmm. because, because it's all, I, I always have to check myself. I always have to make sure that I'm behaving in a way that society would deem to be acceptable for somebody who looks like me.
1: Mm-hmm. How, how do you think these daily challenges affect your faith?
0: To be honest, sometimes I, I find myself questioning why it seems that racism and anti-black racism specifically seems to be something that has just uh, is it's worldwide it has permeated time Mm. you know um even from biblical times i think there was anti-black racism so i I, you know in my quiet moments I, i try and figure out why and, and although there's racism against other visible minorities, um, certainly in, in the, um, with this COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen a lot of racism against people who are of Asian heritage mm-hmm. um, because of the, f- the feeling that they were the ones that, the, the virus originated from China, so, mm-hmm. so, so therefore they are somehow responsible. But even with that, it, it seems like racism against Black people are, is particularly extreme for example, we talk about the killing of George Floyd. We don't see, and while I'm sure police take the lives of other, other minorities, but we don't see with the, the, the common occurrence that, that happens with black people. We don't see that um, with other mm-hmm. minorities. So I often wonder, and I do, I do ask God, I wonder, why is that? Why does this seem to be this theme, this global theme of racism? So from time to time, you know, I I have to admit I do struggle with that. On the other hand, though, I think I've been very blessed that I really haven't, in terms of comparative to other Black people, and and maybe this really highlights the sad state of affairs that I'm going to say this. But the racism that I've experienced, relatively speaking, hasn't been that bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think I've been blessed that way. I also think that I've been fortunate to be surrounded by brethren and sisters who at least some of them understand mm-hmm. um, and and have been very supportive so that that helps me with my faith in the times when I feel down or struggling so any any feelings of fear would be i I've never been I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't. I'm not really afraid for myself. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. go and think. And, and part of that also is is, is where I live. Mm-hmm. I, I do. So I, I live in Guelph. It's a predominantly white city. I think if I was living in, a, in an area with higher populations of visible minorities, like Toronto, mm-hmm. or or some cities in the U.S., I think my feelings of fear might might be higher.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because I do think that. People see a threat when 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 there are numbers of people that large numbers of people that they don 't understand mm. um, because i 'm here in Guelph and there's very few black people i, I don 't think we're really perceived as a threat so mm. so I think that that plays into different potentially even though there's racism um, different treatment than than I might experience if I was mm. in, a, in a city with a higher population of visible minorities Mm -hmm. my fear though revolves around my children
1: yeah
0: because i wonder when they grow up and when they move um where will they move to how will they be treated Mm -hmm. and i don't have the answers to that so so that's if if i feel fair it it would be for my children not Mm -hmm. not really for me Mm
1: -hmm. and your children are still very young aren't they at
0: the moment yes they're four and six years old yeah
1: but old enough to old enough to have some understanding. So, what kind of things do you talk to them about, in terms of, in terms of race?
0: So we haven't we've we've we kind of went back and forth, you know, with the situation. Should we talk to them about it? And we decided, no, you know, they saw my son saw on the TV the protesting. Asked about that. Mm-hmm. We decided we wouldn't tell him yet you know, for me, I, I want them to be innocent just a little bit longer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Any discussions we've had on race center around the fact that we are an interracial family. My, mm-hmm. my wife is white and I'm black and they're in between. So we have discussions about, you know, they will ask as innocent children do about skin color. And they certainly observe that I have dark skin and their mom has, you know, very light skin and and they're in between. And so we talk about that and we're open about it. And we, you know, we just explain to them that this is how God made us. And we have different skin color, but all skin is beautiful and everybody's beautiful. And and they understand that. And fortunately, they haven't had any that I'm aware of any negative experiences, Mm. although I'm always watching for that because society the way society is it's, it's just ingrained in society so there's all kinds of studies that have shown that children particularly children with dark skin somehow learn that they are not as good as mm. other children
1: mm. and you and you mentioned an incident that happened in the grocery store with your wife and your children as well
0: yes so um one of the things that tends to happen certainly this happens with me and 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 this is another day-to-day uh scenario that I have to deal with but also it also happens with my wife when when she's with with our children so for me I'm always asked or often asked where I'm from
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and and when I respond with Guelph the second question is well where are you really from and that's Again, something because the the idea being behind that second question that because I'm black, I couldn't ne- I couldn't actually originally have been from Guo. I must be from some black country. So that's again something that most white people don't don't have to deal with. Mm. Uh, my wife, who's British, tells me that you know she gets that question because of her accent.
1: Yeah, um, and me and me too. Like I mean, I'm British too, but I'm half Greek and half Malaysian. But I was born in Britain and. Yeah, I I do get a lot of those questions. And I think, in a way, when people hear my accent, I'm treated in a different way. And I know that if my English wasn't... If I didn't have this accent, I had broken English, I would get treated differently. And I would get treated worse. And and I, I think I find that harder to stomach living in the US compared to where I lived in England.
0: Yeah, and I can certainly appreciate that. And, and and my wife, you know, she tells me that when she goes to the store um, with the kids, that oftentimes she's approached by people who who like the kids. Um, and 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 in the in the context of that conversation, the question invariably arises: you know, where did you get them from, or where did you adopt them from? Mm. There seems to be a lack of understanding that, or or. Realization that you know those kids could actually have been her own kids. Mm-hmm. So, so these are the subtle, what are referred to as microaggressions. Yeah, that that people who are either belong to a, a, a visible minority group or um, people who are family members a visible minority, of people who are visible minorities have to
1: deal with on a day-to-day basis. And even though some of those microaggressions might seem small, because they're so regular, they do really build up, don't they?
0: Absolutely. you know, um, It's tiring because you, you always have to be on guard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For example, back to the person who says, well, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Now, if I respond angrily to that, people will will say well why, why are you angry like there's there's no recognition so i always have to check myself i always have to um be patient i always have to um and it can be very very hard because you know just like everybody else i have tiring days i have days where that don't go well and on top of that you know there always has to be a layer of, of behavior uh, and and checking oneself for acceptable behavior within the society that I find myself in. so so this is where um, it can be very tiring, especially when that happens day after day after day after day
1: mm-hmm.
0: and certainly one of the one of the more saddening things is that I can perhaps rationalize that by saying, okay well it's this is the world we live in and so forth it happens at work, it happens in my daily life, but it's particularly saddening when I go to meeting, or gatherings, or study days, and so forth, and and those things happen. Because that's the one place where one might expect to feel safe Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and to feel a sense of community. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So it's at those times when those things happen that I struggle with my faith, because one can almost develop a feeling of hopelessness. Because here are brothers and sisters who are supposed to be, we're supposed to be a family. Mm. We're supposed to be there to comfort each other. And then these things happen and it can be a bit of a struggle.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. What do you want the faith community to hear from our conversation? So I think,
0: again, in the last two weeks, there's been a lot of discussion about, George Floyd, I've, both online and in person, there tends to be, I I see two camps within the community. The first camp is one that says, one that tends to focus on the politicized nature of of the events and has a, you know, a response of, we are not supposed to be involved in in politics. So this really doesn't concern us. Mm. The other group is one that, really empath- empathizes with, with the situation, understands as much as possible. Because I do think we have to understand that we can't know what we can't know. Mm. For, for a white person who has never been stopped by the police or has never had a security guard follow them or has never been accused of being aggressive when they're passionate or, or has never been asked where they're from or has never um, been subjected to a racial slur. Mm. Um, or has never had the police called on them um, because somebody thought they looked suspicious because they're just walking on the street, or has never had a job promotion denied to them, um, or one of a million other things. How can they possibly understand? So I do think we have to, we do have to acknowledge that. Mm. Um, but I, but I think to answer your question, I, what I, what I would like our faith community to understand is that there are brethren and sisters within the community that experience these things every single day. And actually because they experience it every single day and becomes, it becomes tiring mm-hmm. over time, it actually becomes a barrier to their faith and to worshiping.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so now that particularly white brethren and sisters have that knowledge, um, I think that it would I, I would certainly implore them to explore this, to ask any f- black people that they know. It could be brothers and sisters, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, you know, we're certainly supposed to be preaching and introducing the, the message of the scriptures to, to those who don't know it yet. And that certainly should include black people. Mm. And, if, and in order to, to reach them, we certainly have to have some understanding of, of what they go through, much like Jesus who understood the struggles uh, of those that he ministered to? So, I think the opportunity is there to to reach out to to black people, whether they're brothers and sisters or not. Uh, that one may know, ask some about their experiences with racism, much like we're discussing now. Taking some time to read and learn about racism, and then from there, trying to to come up with with a way that. Uh, one can act to help reduce the burden um, Mm. that, with respect to racism that that people feel feel on a daily basis.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with implicit bias is that we we all tend to favour our own in-group, our own crowd, our own experience, and there's work to do to kind of look at ourselves, do the work within ourselves, and and do the work within our circles that starts with our friends and it starts with our family and our colleagues it also starts with our ecclesias and working our way out of from ourselves and to the wide to the wider community i read something that someone wrote it said the bible envisions a unified church from every nation tribe people and language um and it it was quoting revelation 7 verse 9 I mean, of course, like the gospel message is for everyone and we're called to preach to everyone in the whole world and that God wants people of every nation, tribe, colour, tongue in, as part of his family. And in many ways, our community and many church communities, I suppose as well, that it's still a challenge to us to kind of look beyond our in group to to look outside and to be able to show the love of Jesus to all those around us.
0: Yes, and you know as I said earlier I think racism or perhaps a better word would be prejudice that existed from biblical times we certainly see you know two examples that I think are particularly relevant. Mm-hmm. Um the example with Moses and his Ethiopian wife and 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 the example where um, Miriam and Aaron spoke out against him. Um, we're not told that she was black, but you know, I, I think um, there's a lot of if if one does some research, I think that's a reasonable explanation. And and we're not told that Aaron and Miriam spoke out against her because she was black. But I also mm. think the fact that that's noted predominantly, it's at least the possibility, and we see that God was displeased with that. We also see. That the Jews struggled to view an expanded family in Jesus' time, um, so the Samaritans um, were particularly viewed with disdain, um, and, and we see a, a fair amount of Jesus' ministry, you know, aimed at at addressing that. Um, mm-hmm. The parable of the Good Samaritan, the discussions he had with the Samaritan woman. Um, so I think these things have always been there. I think, unfortunately, it's it's human nature to um, always look for differences. Mm. Um, the first thing is, it's human nature to always try to uh, look for reasons that I should be elevated above you, number mm-hmm. one. And then how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to look for differences that we can exploit to, to achieve that. And 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 of course, it's very easy when the difference is a visual one. Mm. So, so this has always been there and it's a challenge. It's it's one more aspect of our sinful nature. I do believe that if we are to be in God's kingdom, we have to overcome that,
1: mm.
0: and we have to get to a point where we we do not. I don't think it's a mistake to see differences. I've 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 seen a lot of people make comments um, who are supportive, um, and they say things like, "Well, I'm colorblind. Mm. I don't see. When I look at you, I don't see." that you're black, we're, we're all the same. And, and that's a nice sounding sentiment, but it's also untrue. Mm. Um, because of course you see them I'm black. Mm. Um, just like I see that you might be white, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's no difference, you know, there's no shame in that, that's, that's actually a fact. Mm. Um, the goal is not to have a homogenous society, but the goal is to understand that we are, that while we're different, we're equal. Mm. And and that each of us, because of our differences, whether it may be because of the color of our skin or the w- where we've grown up or or culture or whatever, um, those differences can be celebrated under the umbrella of this faith that we share together. Mm. It's it's our faith that should unify us, mm. and that that faith that we have and the commandments that we've been given by God and by Jesus should manifest themselves in our daily lives by how we treat each other and more specifically the way we treat each other should be that we should have the utmost care for the well-being of others and we should certainly not make delineations in how we treat others because of one's skin color
1: and talking about the well-being of our brothers and sisters especially of brothers and sisters of color how how can we support them better as as a faith community
0: so i think not to be dismissive you know understand the daily struggles that, that they go through and really make an effort to understand mm. and then try to provide support mm. that could be you know regular phone calls and so forth uh, efforts made to to include people of brethren and sisters of color in in events you Mm -hmm. know i've I've heard many stories where a brother or sister of color joins a meeting and they're kind of left out of events uh, Mm -hmm. not really included they feel isolated Mm -hmm. um again when you go through that every day of you know, of the week, so to speak, not that we just, you know, go to the Ecclesiastes on Sundays, but when you go through that every day of the week and then you show up on a Sunday and it still happens in a, in a place where we profess to to understand God and what God wants of us, that can be particularly devastating. So I think more awareness of the, of the challenges that, that black people go through every day mm-hmm. um, and, and being there to support them and also standing up when that happens in the Ecclesia. I have been made aware of of various talks and studies where brothers on the platform have said things that have been openly racist. And, you know, I, um, I have not, I myself have not experienced that, Mm -hmm. but I think about how I would feel if I was sitting in the audience and experienced that. Mm -hmm. And I think Quite frankly, I think that's completely unacceptable, and I think people need to stand up and, 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 and say that's unacceptable, mm-hmm. um, rather than being apologetic or, um, you know, ashamed, and, and, and but nothing ever changes. I, I think this is, um, these are the things, and these are the ways in which Brennan and sisters can be supportive. I note that Africa is the fastest growing region for our community. Um, there's... An, many brethren and sisters are being baptized and the and pleasures are growing. So we have to make sure that we understand the plights of, of those brethren and sisters. We have a mm-hmm. fairly good handle on, you know, things like hunger and violence that they go through. But we also need to include racism in that as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And reflecting back on your own life and your own faith, what helps you in those times where you are feeling hurt and um angry what do you draw upon to to help you get through those times
0: um i just draw upon the fact that you know as i look back at my life i can clearly see that god's always been there mm. I, I i should add in my life i you know I, i've certainly been i would term my life as successful um in my professional career i've been very successful i i do not believe that i would have been where i am if it had not been for the support including strong support of, of white people mm. so i've had some very good uh, white people in my life that have really supported me not just with words with actions and gone all their way so i i look over my life i look back in my life i see god which i also attribute to god um, so, I look back over my life, I see that God has been there, and I see that there have always been people you know that I believe He sent to help me. so that gives me comfort that if that 's the way it, it has been, then that 's the way it will be mm. or continue to be and like I said, you know um, certainly in this specific scenario that we 're talking about, there have been brothers and sisters who've reached out, and that gives me comfort as well.
1: Mm. But so there needs to be more of
0: that. But there needs to be more. Yeah. So. The, the, the brothers and sisters of reach out have been very few. You know, there certainly needs to be more. For, for example, if somebody is in a family and they lose a loved one, everybody reaches out. You know, we all say, we all understand what that is like. Most of us have lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. Everybody reaches out. We understand that people are feeling sorrow. Um, what can we do to help? So my basic point is, let's do the same thing. Mm. Um, with this because brothers and sisters are also feeling sorrow. Mm. So the same thing, what can we do to help? And mm. you know, I often hear people say, well, they don't know what to do or they don't know where to start or they don't. What can we do to help? How can we support you? Please know that you are loved and supported.
1: Mm. And some brothers and sisters of colour do obviously live in more urban areas and they live in bigger cities where they are more afraid about where they live and what might happen to them, even when they're driving or at night time. And I think there are times where if people are worried about driving to church or driving to Bible class or, or driving to even the grocery store, we simply could offer them a ride. Absolutely. G- give them the opportunity to to sit in the passenger seat and not be in the driving seat and to, to be cared for and looked after and not, and just have one less fearful journey
0: absolutely that's another thing that uh, black people often do again i saw online a black person said when he when they in his neighborhood where he lives when he goes for walks with his dog he takes his daughters his young daughters because people see him as less threatening mm. or when he drives down the street um one person put a big teddy bear in the back seat um because if if he's ever pulled over you know that makes him look more less threatening, you know, like that. So I do think, you know, having giving people rides, you know, police are much like less likely to pull over a car if it's driven by a white person, if there's a black person sitting um, mm-hmm. beside them. Um, you know, I, I was remarking to my wife that during this COVID-19 pandemic, where we've all been having virtual services, and we're sitting on a Sunday morning with our laptops and, and service, that, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that some brother or sister could be doing that and the door gets broken down by the police because Mm. somebody called them. I mean, we've certainly seen that this has happened Mm. where people, black people in their own houses, you know, Mm. the the police have come in because somebody called, you know, and and, and people have been arrested in their own house. Or as you say, people could be driving to to church on Sunday and, and they get pulled over. Um, and harassed and they're just trying to to do what everybody is trying to do which is just live
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and for that so so these are the things that i really want our brothers and sisters to understand the magnitude of the situation the magnitude of the problem it's not just about pro- police brutality police brutality is the um tip of the iceberg and it's easy mm-hmm. for some to rationalize that well if the police were involved it must be because he was a criminal so if this happened in the context of that then Why should we care? Mm -hmm. To which I respond, well, first of all, we should always care because it's a human being. And Mm -hmm. who knows that human being, um, who knows what their relationship with with God was, okay? Um, And and, and so all human beings have that opportunity to come to know God. And then if if one walks in, in the commandments to be in the kingdom. So we should be concerned for everybody on the planet, not just our fellow brethren and sisters, and then when it comes to our fellow brothers and sisters, of course, to just be more sympathetic, empathetic, and to learn more about the plight that they go through. And then the act part, as you've said, you know, mm-hmm. these are some th- ways that one can act to make their lives easier. So even giving them a ride or checking in with them.
1: Yeah, visiting visiting them in, visiting their, them home. in their homes. Yeah. yeah,
0: These are all things that can help alleviate um, the stress.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. You talked a lot, you know, you said there were three things we need to remember, listen, learn, act. Um, Is there any more you want to add um, about those things?
0: Um, Just that I think um, one shouldn't be afraid. I've had people message me and say that, you you know, this event has really opened their eyes. They didn't know. They feel ashamed. They feel like they should have known. I don't think anybody should feel ashamed because you can't know what you can't know. We shouldn't be afraid, we shouldn't be ashamed that we don't know, but neither should we use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly hope now, because this has been all over the news, that people take an introspective look at themselves and truly ask themselves some hard questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and one of the first things that one can do is get to know a person of color. Just get to know a person of color. And really try to get to know them and try mm-hmm. to understand um, where they're coming from and not to do it to reinforce any preconceived notions that one might have, because that also happens sometimes. Mm. Um, but really to challenge oneself to say, OK, how can I be better? How can I expand you know, my circle of knowledge with the ultimate goal of trying to help make this person's life a little bit easier? Isn't that mm-hmm. what Jesus did? Mm -hmm. You know, he healed people, he fed people that were hungry, and he ultimately ministered to them with this message um, that basically said, your life may be tough now, but if you follow me, then I promise you that ultimately you will have a life where there's no sorrow.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But he didn't just give them that message. He, He actively worked to remove barriers that people have in their day-to-day life that may have precluded them from accepting that message. And, and mm. that is what I think is so important here, is that mm. these day-to-day um, situations are barriers that for some might be so hard to overcome that it actually precludes them from, from hearing and accepting the message. Mm. And I think that as we have an obligation because we've accepted the saving name of, uh, of of Christ, you know, through baptism to, we have an obligation to understand those challenges and, and to actively work to eliminate them.
1: Mm. And that should be our prayer, to, for those barriers to be broken down and for us to gain more understanding and to really build relationships and that, that requires each and every one of us to to be more open and honest and vulnerable and it's uncomfortable it's not easy, but neither is our life in Christ you know we were never promised that it, there wouldn't be burdens and challenges and we know that if we trust in God and we trust in Jesus that we you know we can work together in all these things
0: yes absolutely absolutely so so that's that's really. What I what I would pray for and what I would hope hope to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have to, as a, as a black person, in order to be seen as equal with my white counterparts, I have to work twice as hard. Mm-hmm. And so that's another daily thing that's tiring. Um, is is that you know we often have to work to exhaustion just to be seen to be equal with what white people are doing. And, and that's a big burden and a very stressful thing. So so that, in addition to the other microaggressions that one has to go through, can, can really affect one's life. Um, there's all kinds of data, particularly in the U.S., about the inequalities with respect to the fact that Black families earn less mm-hmm. um, than white families. So what that may, translates into is that Black people may have to have, and many do have, more than one job uh, to support their family. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of 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 black families that tend to uh uh, there's a lot of black children that tend to have only one parent Um, and there's all kinds of social reasons which is beyond this podcast for that Um, so all these things conspire to make black life very tough Mm. Um, you know in terms of again what can brethren and sisters do well if you know that you know a particular brother or sister is working two or three jobs to make ends meet, and they're exhausted. Offer them a, a ride to meeting, or if they can't come to meeting because they're just exhausted, offer to go over and break bread with them mm-hmm. um, or do the readings or Bible study with them. These are the things that can be done. you know, knowing that and just saying, "Well, that's unfortunate, you know but we're here for you, mm-hmm. but, but there's no action with that. That's like mm-hmm. Paul what Paul has said. That if we see our brother or sister in need and we say go in peace, but we haven't done anything, that really we don't have God's love in us because mm-hmm. God's love requires action on our part, and it mm-hmm. actually, actually, to be more precise, it actually requires sacrifice. So we should be willing to help to the point that we're sacrificing something of ourselves. Could be time, could be money, could be whatever uh, to help make. The life of that brother or sister easier.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Larry.
0: You're welcome.